Well, good morning. Uh, Let's pray before we dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we praise you for your great and all-surpassing love. Uh, We worship you this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us as we open up your Word, um, and we just thank you that you've given it to us, that we may know you, uh, we may know the truth of the gospel, and because of that, we may know how you've called us to live. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are continuing our series through Romans chapter 12 this morning, and, and today we get to look at verses 9 through 13. So please, I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles with me um, as you're watching. You hit pause, open up your device, get to Romans 12 or your Bible. Um, and, and in Romans 12, remember, Paul is talking about uh, because the gospel is true, because of the chapters 1 through 11, because this is true, let us live in such a way that we are living sacrifices, made holy and acceptable before God, not conforming uh, to the systems of the world. Um, And then in humility, uh, we think of ourselves with sober judgment um, and that we are made one body in Christ, individually members one of another. And we've been gifted by the Spirit to serve one another, to use those gifts we've been given, to use them with joy, with zeal, and with cheerfulness. And now we come to our passage this morning where Paul is writing about the expectations for all believers as he continues uh, his exhortation in chapter, chapter 12. He says, beginning in verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, we're going to break this passage down because, man, there's a, there's a ton packed into these five verses. And it all begins and is centered around the first four words. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Genuine as in the real deal. Like, like genuine leather. Genuine leather. I, th- I, think, I think genuine leather is a great and fitting analogy as we're talking about genuine love. Because genuine leather, we know, is animal skin. And so it needs care. It needs to be maintained and moisturi- moisturized you know, whenever it starts to dry out. Um, because if it's not maintained, you know, eventually it's going to dry out, it's going to start to crack, it's going to start to peel. Uh, same with genuine love. We sometimes need to be, uh, you know, get that moisturizer of the Holy Spirit, of God's Word, of doing acts of love. And, and in doing so, it prevents us from becoming a dried out vessel that's cracking and peeling. And with the proper care, genuine leather uh, and love alike are durable. It's quality. It can withstand storms and, and, and being you know, beat up during a long journey. But there's another type of leather that looks like genuine leather, but is actually just an imitation. It is called bonded leather. Bonded leather is made up of uh, a scrap leather and is glued together, basically. So, so it's thinner and it's weaker and it's not durable at all. So it can easily be scratched and peel and flake over time. Typically, bonded leather only lasts about two to three years before it really starts falling apart. You see, a love that is not genuine might look nice at first on the outside, but it will show its lack of durability pretty quickly. You scratch or offend, you know, a love that is not genuine, 
and no amount of moisturizer um, or salve is going to heal that wound. For that is a cheap and a fragile surface-level love only, an imitation held together by glue. There's no strength. There's no inner support. Um, And I was doing some, some research on leather, as you can tell. And in an article about the differences uh, between these leathers uh, by Taylor Kiley, she writes, the main difference, the main difference between bonded leather and genuine leather is cost. Bonded leather will be significantly cheaper because it's not made of real leather. She writes, the cost of genuine leather will always be greater than fake leathers. The cost of genuine leather will always be greater than fake leathers. Genuine love is going to cost you something. It costs Christ his very life. He is our example of genuine love, a love that is built to last for eternity because the real deal, though it costs more, is irreplaceable because when our love is genuine, it is, it is thick it is durable. It could be scratched and yet unharmed because we know the cost. We know the price that was paid to purchase us. The highest price imaginable. So far be it from us to withhold that same love, that same grace and mercy and forgiveness from others. We have a depth of love that is from God. We're fully satisfied in him so, so we can love freely without fear for we are loved by the ever faithful one who sent his son for us. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul defines genuine love, saying love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never ends. And why does love never end? Because 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16 say, in fact, all of Scripture declares that God is love. God is love. John writes, 1 John 4, starting in verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And skipping ahead to verse 19 in 1 John 4, he says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The more we understand and and meditate upon the vastness of God's love, the more we love others. Our love of others is a reflection of our love of God and that his love is in us and, and it manifests in us as the fruits of the Spirit of God. The first of which is what? Is love. 
The first fruit of the Spirit is love. A genuine love that is modeled after Christ. It is the first fruit of the Spirit given. And then joy. And then peace. And then forbearance. And then kindness. And goodness. And faithfulness. And gentleness. And self-control. These are the greatest gifts we could ever hope to receive. And they're freely given to us by the Spirit. But they are costly gifts. They cost the blood of the incarnate Son of God. So back to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Then he goes on, and the rest of this passage can be viewed as a description of what genuine love is, what it looks like. And he writes, abhor what is evil. Abhor meaning to to view with disgust and hatred, to to turn away from, to recoil from. In every way, we want to get away from it, from that which is evil. Why? Because genuine love is quite different than sentimentality. Genuine love recognizes that evil can never benefit the beloved and brings ruin wherever it's found. So genuine love sees evil for what it is and hates it, flees from it. And I always think of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, uh, who, who, Potiphar's wife who tried to seduce Joseph, you know, and, and when her husband was gone, she tried to pull Joseph into bed with her, and he fled from her, but she was still holding on to his cloak. Remember that? And so he just slipped out of his cloak and ran away naked as fast as he could. And that's our image of abhorring evil to the extent that we flee from it, even if it costs us socially. Joseph not only had to run away naked in shame, but was then thrown in prison, for she lied about it, and then he suffered for righteousness' sake. Sometimes that's the cost. Important here to note, evil isn't a person. As Paul says in Ephesians 6, you know, our enemies aren't flesh and blood. Right? It's not other people. Our enemies are the rulers of this age, the, the, the powers of the, of the air, and, and, and this present darkness, right? the demonic, the acts of evil. Regimes can be evil, right? those bent on destruction. So, so we aren't abhorring people. We're abhorring that which is evil, that people act upon. In fact, remember Mark's gospel account we went through last year. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 20, uh, 20 through 23, uh, where Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, uh, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So evil thoughts come from within us. And now we're being bombarded from without as well by our adversary. But now we must remember that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So our thoughts can be renewed And the goodness of God now dwells within us as we pursue him and seek him out. But the danger is, when it comes to evil, is that we, in in many ways, are like lobsters, being put in water, and then the temperature is slowly being turned up and up and up and up as we're exposed to far more content and media than ever before in the history of the world. So we accept a little more half-truths, you know, a little more twisted truth. We accept a little more filthy language, a little more violence, a little more uh, sexuality and explicit content, a little more bad philosophy, just a little more deception, all for the sake of going along to get along. And then all of a sudden we realize we're about to be boiled alive. 
and what we thought was going along to get along is actually dragging our spirit into outer darkness. What we thought was harmless entertainment is now numbing and desensitizing us, and especially our children, to that which is evil. So instead of abhorring it, we tolerate it. Instead of recoiling away from it, we are enraptured by it. And genuine love becomes a thing in our lives that costs too much. So in our daily life, are we abhorring that which is evil? It starts in our heart. It starts in our heart. It starts at home. What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you allowing into your home? What are you filling your mind with? If the people, the the songs, the, the, the things you're listening to are bent on violence and destruction, that's evil. So so it is not loving, it's not genuine love to take a soft stance against evil. Moving on. Uh, Then Paul writes, As we abhor and flee from evil, hold fast to that which is good. Grasp it without letting go. And remember, as Jesus says, only God is good. So that which is good is God alone. So so he and his word are our standards, and and we, we hold fast to him. So we get this, imagery, this Im- imagery from Paul of you know, recoiling away of that which is evil and then gripping strongly to that which is good. It's a conscious choice. Choosing what is good, hating and abhorring that which is evil. Don't, don't flirt with evil. You know, if you're a mile away from the edge of a cliff, there's no chance of you falling off of it. But if you, you know, dip your toe over, you know, see how close you can get without falling, and the sudden gust of wind comes, and the earth shakes, you know, and, and you're in danger of falling to your demise. Whereas, if you're holding fast to that which is good, to a firm railing far from the edge, your footing is firm and secure. There is less anxiety, there's less worry. You can actually enjoy the view, you know, without uh, worrying about taking a tumble. It's like when you take your kids to the national park. What do you tell them? Hey, get as close to the edge as you can, kid, and and whoever doesn't fall wins. No, (laughs) maybe if you hated your kids, you'd say that. No, instead you'd say, man, enjoy the marvel of God's creation. Enjoy it, but hold fast to the railing. Stay on firm footing, lest you fall to paralyzing injury or death causing pain to yourself and everybody close to you. Because loving evil and and forsaking good is selfish in every way, while abhorring evil and holding fast to what is good is loving in every way. We don't live in a vacuum. Our actions affect those around us. Paul goes on and says, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Philadelphia is the word used there, brotherly, brotherly love. It's a fraternal, familial love that bonds us together. We are brothers and sisters belonging to each other. It is a love that says, you belong to me and I belong to you. And we're going to do our very best to not let anything come between us or get in the way of that. We look out for each other, we encourage each other, and seek to be at our best when we're together, not at our worst. Moving on here, Paul goes on in verse 10 saying, outdo one another in showing honor. (laughs) Outdo meaning to go before as a leader, as an example, showing honor as of deference, of, of esteeming one another in the highest degree. Imagine a society where everyone honored one another, where people sought to be the first to show honor to one another. Where there's no lower class, there's no upper class. In fact, it would be those, uh, those 
who are in the upper class would be those who are showing the most honor <laughs> to others. Those, it, if we give them an upper class, they would be those who are serving and, and who are humble than all the others. Those would be the upper class of God's kingdom. I don't know about you, I want to be part of that kind of kingdom where, where people seek to show esteem and honor to one another, to, to lead in doing that. I want to see that kingdom come to the earth as it is in heaven, right today in our church family, right here and now. And if we can get this right more often than not, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to lead in showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So do not be apathetic. Serve God willingly and enthusiastically. That is one thing you know, I think college students are best at, serving with enthusiasm. That is something that often takes effort not to lose as we get older. It takes being reminded and encouraged. It means doing something. Paul knows this, so he reminds us to serve with zeal. <laughs> serve like we did when we first came to faith, when we just wanted to help in any way possible. And, and as we come out of you know, the lockdowns, you know, eventually, hopefully this year, um, I am anticipating many of you are eager to get back here and serve as you once did. And as we do that, remember to do it with zeal, being fervent in spirit to serve the Lord. As we practice verse 12, verse 12, to rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That's, man, that's our verse for 2021. That's our calling this year. Romans 12, 12. It is easy to remember, and it is, my, it is my hope that this verse is going to define us this year, that we may be those who rejoice in hope. We rejoice because we have hope. We are a people of hope, not of despair. We are a people of confidence, not of fear, because our hope and our confidence is in the Lord. It's not in this world. And then we are, we are patient in the face of all tribulation, for we know, as Paul says, it is this light and momentary trouble that we face when compared to the eternal weight of glory that is to come. And in that, we are constant in prayer, always communing with God. He is always with us, Holy Spirit in us. We're continually connected to him, being ever mindful of the relational God who is jealous for us. He desires us to abide in him and promises us to abide in us as we abide in him. We're constantly seeking his will, seeking his direction, his wisdom, his discernment. We're, we're continually uh, desiring his influence in our lives. And, and beyond that, man, we long to draw near to him, to the place of perfect love, of perfect serenity, for perfect life is only found when we are with God. And that's our eternal hope of being with him. And we don't have to wait. We can be constant in prayer going to him, going to the one who is love. We need to realize if we disconnect from him, it's like stepping out into the vacuum of space. Unless you bring earth's atmosphere with you, you're donezo. You're donezo. Likewise, there is no life apart from God, for he is life and life abundant. So we are in constant relationship with him, and it keeps everything that we do in perspective. If you've got to cut that connection from God, 
because of something you're going to do, something you're going to say or, or watch or consume, we need to take that with utmost seriousness. That is choosing death. That's letting go of all that is good to pursue evil. Hold tight to that which is good, to God, and abhor anything that separates you from God that is less than God's holiness. Lest you think God winks and shrugs at sin when it costs the life of his son. Finally, verse 13, Paul writes, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Who are the saints? Well, the saints are God's people. The, the saints are the one another's, <laughs> the, the body of Christ. And we show hospitality as those with open doors. Man, you come to our home, we're going to make you feel like family. Because you are. We, we want to do that as a church and as individuals. Uh, this humorist, Arnold Glasso, says, Some folks make you feel at home. Others make you wish you were. Let's be the folks that make people feel at home because don't forget, as Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Man, that's wild. We never know who we may be encountering and entertaining and how God in his providence may have orchestrated things uh, to cause this encounter. So be ready to show hospitality. In these five verses, Paul lays out what genuine love looks like. And we see from it that action is required of us. Fleeing evil, holding on to what is good, showing affection, taking the lead in, in showing honor and esteem to others, being eager to serve God, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, and contributing to the needs of the church and showing hospitality. The action scripture is calling us to here is important to recognize. It's huge because as C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, he writes, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. <laughs> as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. <laughs> If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find your, yourself disliking him less. And how true that is. Family counselor J. Allen Peterson writes along the same lines of, of Lewis here. He says, most people get married believing a myth that marriage is a beautiful box full of all the things they have longed for, companionship, intimacy, friendship. The truth is that marriage at the start is an empty box. You must put something in before you can take anything out. There is no love in marriage. Love is in people, and people put it into marriage. There is no romance in marriage. People have to infuse it into their marriages. A couple must learn the art and form the habit of giving, loving, serving, praising, keeping the box full. If you take out more than you put in, the box will be empty. So our faith is not an intellectual exercise. It is a lived faith, and sometimes we must act upon it, even if our emotions aren't there yet. We live it out, and sometimes only then 
realizing the lived truth of the gospel, which then fills us with zeal for its transformative power in our lives as we live it out, as we live it out. So, so may our love be genuine, the real deal, that which is practiced, that which is durable, and that which is founded upon Christ, the rock of ages. Amen and amen.